Chapter 8 Until Proven Innocent The experience of the oral hearing put me at the lowest level of confidence I had felt up until this point in the process. From the group of people that knew about my case, perhaps I was the only person who was optimistic about possibly getting released from detention as a result of the oral hearing. The joke was on me. Based on my past professional experience working in a government structure with time spent in the armed forces and other agencies, it is my opinion that people selected to be in a position of authority should be held to a higher standard of accountability, especially if the decisions the person makes directly impacts other people's lives. I also hold the opinion that when a person is charged with making consequential decisions, seeking to receive as much information as possible in order to make a better informed decision should be the baseline standard. I did not get that impression from the judge. When an individual is accused of a crime, the standard I understand up until that point was you're innocent until proven guilty. My experience so far did not feel that way. I felt like I was being treated as guilty until proven innocent. I believe an accused person must be given the opportunity to request or present exonerating evidence in their defense. I also believe the request for an electronic copy of the files on my laptop was within reason because the prosecutor's office and investigators could still maintain the original files. By denying my request, in my opinion, this created an unfair process and permitted those people in positions of authority to utilize their power in a very questionable way. When I returned to the prison, the other American guy tried to uplift my spirits a bit. He could relate to the feeling. I was going through a sensation I had not experienced before. Having your liberty taken away for accusations you know are bogus in a democratic system that is supposed to be fair is an experience I do not wish onto anyone, not even for a single day. I think that was the first night that I totally broke down and cried with my head in my pillow after lights out. The next morning, after releasing some pent-up pressure the evening prior, I put on my thinking cap and tried to figure out my next steps. I adjusted my mindset to try and find different ways to be able to obtain identical or similar information that existed on my laptop. A lot of the communication I had was at least two-way communication or more, including several parties. Logic told me that there could be different ways to obtain evidence in my defense. I had to figure out a way to communicate with the outside world in such a way that would not jeopardize myself. I recall that during the inmate processing for detention, it was within my right as a U.S. citizen to request communication with the U.S. consulate. I requested this, and about a week or so afterwards, a representative of the U.S. consulate physically paid me a visit. 
I appreciated the effort made by the consulate versus a simple phone call. The vice counsel of the U.S. consulate based in Frankfurt, Germany, showed up. The vice counsel visits and the visit from my lawyer were not subject to monitoring by the German authorities. Any other visitations or phone calls were supposed to be monitored. During the visit, the vice counsel introduced himself, provided a business card, and requested me to provide some personal identifying information in order to correctly document my detention and to also notify family members back stateside. I had my passport number memorized at the time, along with my social security number. He wasn't surprised about me knowing my social security number, but was intrigued that I had my passport number memorized. After we got those details out of the way, I gave him a synopsis of what had transpired and asked if there was a way for the U.S. consulate to support my request for the files from my hard drive. The vice counsel informed me that although he empathized with my situation, the U.S. government usually didn't intervene in the judicial processes of partner nations, especially if the U.S. government believes there's a fair and impartial justice system in place. I thought to myself, fair and impartial. And then I asked, does not allowing me access to evidence in my defense constitute a fair and impartial situation? He said he understood my concern and that the best approach for me was to lean on my lawyer for guidance and next steps. And that sometimes in the German judicial process, it could be lengthy, but it would have to play its course and it is important for the U.S. government to respect the German process the same way if a German citizen was going through the legal process in the U.S., the German authorities would not try to intervene. I thought to myself, what a politically correct answer. I walked him through what had transpired again and highlighted the laptop seized during the raid. He said if I felt strongly about it, an inquiry could be made regarding a U.S. citizen's personal property seizure by the German authorities. At least that's how I interpreted what he said. Maybe I was mistaken. Honestly, there wasn't much more to discuss on the topic after that. The conversation shifted back to contacting family in the U.S. and the next steps surrounding that process. I scratched the U.S. consulate from my mental list of a different angle for obtaining the information needed to support my case. Apart from the U.S. consulate visit, there were other visitations that started to happen which were monitored ones. Remember the piece of paper that I used to jot down some numbers before I was detained? That came in handy. Initially through the social worker and later through my lawyer, the word got out to my family in Germany about my detention. My cousin and his partner at the time were the first to be informed. Fortunately for me, my cousin's partner was a very strong and capable woman who had the courage and fortitude to inquire and navigate the detention and justice system. I must give her a lot of credit and praise because she played a significant role throughout the process in helping me to feel more comfortable in detention by adding some money to my prison account 
which allowed me to access some indulgences from the prison shop like extra food, board games, reading magazines, and renting of a television. More to come on that later in the story. I was desperate to find an alternative way to access information to support my claims. Perhaps the universe felt my depression and desperation because something very interesting happened. I had a surprising visit. It was probably within a couple weeks from when the U.S. consulate came to visit me. I was called into a different type of visitation room. It seemed bigger than the ones that I had seen up until that point. I was waiting in the room for a short period of time, and when the door opened, it was one of my friends and business associates with his life partner, who's like family to me. For the sake of their privacy, I'm going to call him T and her S. What was even more shocking was the fact that the security guard opened the door, let them in, and then left the room. There was no sign of monitoring and no sign of the tax investigators. I was confused and really excited to see them. S&T greeted me and we embraced. It felt really good. Out of all the people in the world, I was not expecting to see them under these circumstances. They had made the trip from the Netherlands to come see me. We were relatively new friends and business associates. Our business relationship was centered around logistics and warehousing. I would store some of my goods and services at warehouses in the Netherlands while arranging for delivery to my clients in other EU states. We had met in person a few times to shake hands when I was searching for a reliable logistics partner. I spoke to several companies and T was the one I went with because of how easy the relationship developed. The last time I saw S and T in a more casual setting, we had dinner and they were expecting a daughter on the way. How did they find out about me? T would have proof of doing legitimate business transactions with me. There would be invoices with matching payments to show funds were transferred into his business account from mine. There would also be pictures of products, damage reports, etc. This is great. After our embrace, I shared that I was being accused of a crime I did not commit. And it had been difficult to advance any of my arguments for it because I was being stonewalled by the prosecution. They wanted to know how they could help. As I was trying to add more details, the door opened again, and the security guard entered the room and asked T to come towards the door. The guard indicated for him to step outside as if to have a private conversation. They did. Now, I was left in the room with S. It couldn't have been for more than 30 seconds. During that time, I managed to give S the rundown of how they could help. I explained that being able to show proof of the business transactions and conversing with my lawyer would be extremely beneficial to my case. S said she understood and got it. Right after this critical message and request was passed along, the door swung open 
and the security guard came rushing in and saying the meeting was over. I guess the guards figured it out. But my SOS message had already been delivered. Till this day, I still do not understand how such a colossal error was made by the prison system and guards. A theory of mine is that the guards assumed that T was the police officer who was escorting S to come visit me. Or you can call it divine intervention. Or the universe coming to the rescue. Whatever you end up calling it, the conclusion was that this short-lived visit allowed me a fighting chance to get information to my lawyer that would play a crucial role in the events that unfold next. Hope is alive again.